Heavenly Father, I don't know that there's any greater truth regarding our salvation and what you have done for us than the, the idea, the concept of adoption. What a profound truth and doctrine. And what a, what a testimony we have seen to that today. When all is lost, when hope is lost, when we don't know what to do, we turn to you and, and you invite us in. You make the way for us to come into your family and you've adopted us. And as we heard earlier this morning, you have said that we are, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm because of what you have done for us, Lord Jesus. And so we worship you this morning. We give you praise and glory and honor. And Lord, we ask you that, that you would take our, deep, our faith to deeper places, to trust you more, to walk with you and, and, to, and, to, and to experience all that you have for us. Scripture uses words that are beyond our imagination to describe what you do for us, abundant life, riches, inheritance, all are ours because of what you have done for us, Lord Jesus, by dying on the cross and paying the penalty for our sins, that we might be adopted into your family. So take us to those places where we trust you and we walk with you and we experience all that you have for us. Now, Lord, as we open up your scripture, as you open up your word to us today, speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lift the words off the page and into our hearts. Find us open to receive them and to walk in them. In the name of Jesus, we dedicate ourselves and our worship. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Wow, I think we've already had the sermon today. Thank you, Janice and Kurt, um, for having the courage to step forward this morning and share your stories, and what a blessing that is to us. And thank you to all the kids and families who stood up here this morning. We thank you for, for sharing your stories with us. We've been talking about the transformed life and what it means to walk with Jesus in the last few weeks. This morning, we're coming to the topic of work. What does it mean to live the transformed life in, in what takes up a good part of our life? Work, Monday through Friday. Let's dive into that this morning. The lead article in the latest edition of Christianity Today dealt with the, with the topic of work. And specifically, it focused on churches that are being planted in the middle of workplaces. I don't know if you saw it. The case study for the article is an evangelical free church that's being planted at Disney World. And it's, get this, it's only for the cast members of Disney, Disney World. The name of the church is Cast Members Church. And with 70,000 people working in the park, the target audience is bigger than many of the cities that we plant churches in. The pastor of the church, Stephen Barr, says this, we see Walt Disney World as our city. We want to see it prosper. Not everything is great here, but we want to be here like Daniel serving in the palace, working to help it thrive for the right reasons. Or another example, see Disney like Paul saw Rome as the place where all roads lead from. We want to be good citizens without compromise. 
Barr might spend some of his time walking around the park and talking to the likes of Alice in Wonderland or Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse or any of the other cast of the Disney characters, but he sees his role as investing in the people and well-being of the place he's been called to. That's his work. And the article goes on to describe attitudes concerning work over the last decades. I quote from the article, they meaning the economists of the last century, failed to anticipate that for the poor and middle class, work would remain a necessity. But for the college-educated elite, it would morph into a kind of religion, promising identity, transcendence, and community. So that's quite a description for work, for the role of work in our lives, but it highlights the desire that we have for work and what it means for our life. On one hand... We dread getting up and getting back to the routine on Monday mornings. But on the other hand, we long for a career and work that is fulfilling and impactful. We long to be doing something that makes a difference in our lives and in the world around us. So as usual, the world's definition of something, in this case work, distorts something that God actually intends for our good. It takes something that God designs and calls good, and wraps it around our sin nature and our selfish desires. Work is something that God intended to be a joy. Work is something intended to be a blessing and to be fulfilling in every way. We see it from the first description of Adam and Eve in the garden. They were called to work the garden, to manage the wildlife, to produce their sustenance, and oversee the creation that God had placed them in. So it's clear from Genesis 1 and 2, prior to sin entering the world, in the perfection of God's creation, that our work matters to God. He ordained our work. So I think we've learned that it's, it's our design, it's our purpose, and that God is very specific in what he calls us to be about. Dominion, multiplication, stewarding, and building out the creation that God has, has put around us. Work was God's idea. Indeed, work is his calling. But it was never, it was never intended to be the essence of our identity. That role is reserved for Jesus Christ alone. Now, for Stephen Barr, he sees his work as stewarding the, the, the place and the people God has called him to, and that happens to be Disney World. He has a godly view of work. He's cultivating, creating, and he's stewarding all that is around him for the glory of God, even in the world's largest theme park. So I wonder, how's your theology of work? Yes, work is to be part of our theology. How does our understanding of God and, and his purposes translate in what, into what I do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday? Does How do I I view work through the prism of his purpose? Does his calling include my work? Does my work reflect his blessing and joy, even on the days when, as they say in Disney World, the pixie dust has worn off? There's lots of ways that we can approach this topic of work and theology today. In fact, three years ago, We did an entire series dedicated to the topic of work. We looked at Genesis. We looked at the original design 
and calling of, of man to work the garden and fill the earth. We looked at how he was called, Adam and Eve were called to steward God's creation. We looked at several other aspects of work, including the coming kingdom of God and our work in the future, in the, in the millennial kingdom. It's a full and it's a rich topic, studying what God's design is for our work, what his calling is for our, for our vocation. So today I'd like to take a look at the parable of the talents and what it says to us as followers of Christ and our ideas of success and work. What does work mean in our understanding of the transformed life? That's what we'll tackle today. So if you would, turn with me to Matthew 25. Let me read the parable, parable of the talents for you this morning. Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man's going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, what a powerful story. So the context of this parable is critical to our understanding of it. This section of Scripture is often called the Olivet Discourse since Jesus delivered this teaching on the Mount of Olives as, it, as, as they looked over the city of Jerusalem. They looked over the temple, and they looked over the, the grand view of the religious buildings that were there. And, and I, I remember standing on the Mount of Olives and looking down on that picture as, uh, as we were there some time ago. His teachings in chapter 24 and 25 were a direct response to this question, what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? So Matthew 24 and 25 goes after that question. And the parable of the talents comes later in the teaching. 
It has to do with what we are doing, what we are called to be about while we are waiting for his coming. So it's all in the context of prophecy. It's all in the context of the end of the age. It's all in the context of waiting for the millennial reign of Christ. If you recall, the, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, First and Second Thessalonians, he wrote to them because they misunderstood the very things that Jesus is talking about. They chose to sit idly by and wait for the return of the Lord. They weren't concerned with working and meeting their own needs, only for waiting for the Lord. They were actually dependent on others while they waited. And Paul chastised them and said, get to work. Get to work as you wait for the Lord. So Jesus is teaching his disciples that as his followers, they're to be working as well. In fact, the parable teaches us that work is an essential part of God's plan, God's calling. Now, in the history of the church, this idea of the talents, this idea of work, has taken on two extremes. The early Roman church had this idea that work meant becoming a monk, the monastic lifestyle. If you wanted to be holy, if you wanted to be pleasing to God, then you would retreat from the culture, you'd retreat from everyday work, and you would go to a monastery and live out your life there. If That's how you wanted to get closer to God. That was their view of work. To modern evangelicals, that's us. We believe that success in work or fulfillment in work means that in order for me to be close to God, in order for me to give my life to God, in order for me to make my work count for God, then I need to become a pastor or a missionary. I need to work full-time in the church. And we've, we've kind of swung the pendulum the other way and said, the only work that's really worth doing is that which is for the Lord, and it needs to be in the church or it needs to be for the kingdom. But the idea of work, as we see in Genesis 1 and 2, is, is our daily work. It's our daily sustenance. It's, it's productivity. It's everyone in their job. I imagine if we went across the room this morning and said, who does what? We'd see a whole variety of work represented here today. God anoints all of that. God calls all of us to all of it, not simply to one domain or the other. In an article entitled, The Biblical Meaning of Success, Working diligently for the Master's glory, author Hugh Welchel, who writes, uh, who writes a lot on the topic of faith and work, gives five principles for success in our work. And I'd like to use his five principles, if I could today, to outline what it means to be a follower of Christ, to live the transformed life in the context of our work. So the first principle that we look at as we see the parable of talents is that we are called to work, we're called to use our talents for his glory. In this parable, we have the master and three trusted servants. Verse 14 tells us that he entrusted property to his servants. He expected them, he expected them to manage the talents, manage the resources, manage, as we'll see in a moment, the treasure that he gave to them, and he expected them to grow it. He expected them to manage it, to, to invest it, to make it work for, it, for, for him and make it multiply. Now, the idea of talents has been seen to be our, our spiritual gifts, which are given by the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's calling in our life. Another idea that's been given to this, this area of talent in, in Matthew 25 is, is the actual calling of God in our lives. It's, it's to be seen as a trust that God has given to us 
to be carried out by us. Maybe that's one definition of talent. It can also refer to the abilities or the resources that God has given us to do his work. Those are several different aspects of this idea of talent. But no matter how we look at the idea of talent, God has called us to use what he's given us for his purpose. When the master of the parable gave the money, it was with the expectation that the servants would trade in the money and make more money. The gifts were to be put to work and multiplied. Our lives are not to be seen as, as what I wrote about this week in, our, in the weekly email, a plurality of moralities. That is, our lives are not to be compartmentalized. Over here is work, over here is life at home, over here is church, over here is, is my giving. Over, it's not to be compartmentalized. A plurality of moralities. You see, our work is, our work is, is part of our faith. It's part of our theology. It's part of everything that we're about. The servants of the parable are all in. Their lives are wholly lived to please the master and to be about his business. Their focus and indeed their pleasure was doing his work. In the same way, we are called to use our God-given resources for the glory of God. We, we saw that theme all through our worship here this morning and through the testimonies. For the glory of God, that includes our calling to work. All for the glory of God. Second principle, we are given all we need to fulfill God's calling in our lives. Now, talent was a huge sum of money. One definition has, has the word talent in this passage as 60, listen to this, 60,000 days of salary. And that's if the talent is given in silver. If it's given in gold, it's worth 180,000 days. Did you hear that? 1,000 days of salary. So I, I did some math. I'm not good at math, so don't look at this too closely. Pete, close your eyes, close your ears. I calculated if $60,000 is your annual salary, then a daily salary calculated out would be $230. That means a talent today, by those calculations of 60,000 days or 180,000 days, listen to this, a talent would be worth $1.4 million in silver. In gold, it would be worth $41.4 million. Five talents in silver would be $7 million. In gold, it would be $207 million. So I don't know about you, but my sympathies have always been with the guy who had one talent. What can you do with just one talent? Seriously, have you ever read this story and thought, well, one talent, what did he expect him to do with it? But in this context, the talent is a huge sum of money. And in the culture of that day, if one had capital, it was an easy, it was a reasonable expectation that you'd be able to turn that money around and at least double it. Now, it's easy for us as Christians to fall into the mindset that we don't have what we need to do the things that we want to do. We don't have what we need to do the things that God has called us to do. How many of us have, have ever said to ourselves, if only I had dot, 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 then I could dot, dot, dot. You see, we've all been given something. We've all been given resources to carry out our life's work. Have, have you ever, I don't know if you want to do this, 
Have you ever calculated the total amount you'll earn over the course of your lifetime? Taking what you've already earned, projecting out where you're at today and where that's going to take you over the next years. Have you ever stopped to figure out that total amount of money? I have. It's a scary exercise. It tells us that we have indeed been given much and will be given much. The question is, how are we using it today? This week, Pastor Christie of our sister church in Romania sent me a story, which he often does. And this week he told me about the story of a young lady by the name of Donna. I'm not sure Donna's age. You can see her in the picture. But they've been working with her since she was four years old. She comes from the neighborhood of Rosboyen. Many of you have been to that neighborhood in Pitești, Romania. When she was an infant, when they met her at four years old, she had serious lung issues. And the church helped her and her family to make it through those, those issues with medical care. Today, Donna has a dream to learn English well. Her dream is to use it to translate English language ministry teams, but she also wants to make a living by translating English and to be a witness for Christ through that track of a career. Christine Kami, the fact that Donna comes from a very poor family, and if you've been to Resboyan, you know this, She's, she comes from a very poor family. She can't afford to do this on her own, so Christine Kami have enrolled her in the Cambridge language course, and they're paying for it themselves. Also, Donna can realize her dreams. They can't afford the $25 a month, but they're giving it so that they can invest in Donna's life and future. All for the glory of God. You see, we have what we need to glorify God today. It's also, this, this idea also shows us that we can trust God for where he leads. Christine Kami may, not, may be stretching to pay that money this month, but they're trusting that God will provide in the future. The same principle applies for us today. I may not have it today, but when God calls, where God leads, he will provide. Third principle, we are not all created equal. This parable contains a truth that is absolutely, listen to this, absolutely anathema to the culture that we live in today. We are not all created equal. Verse 15 says, To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Diversity of gifts is a part of the tapestry of Scripture and God's design. Paul tells us that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives spiritual gifts to whom he will. The Spirit decides who receives what spiritual gifts. None of us have the same spiritual gifts. We all are uniquely designed, uniquely called, uniquely created by God, and he uniquely gives us spiritual gifts for the benefit of the body. And the Spirit decides who, does, who gets what. Not me, not you. And he does it all for the sake of weaving together this tapestry of what we call the church, God's family. We're not all created equal. Scripture tells us that God gives us the power to make wealth and that he delights in the prosperity of his servants. Read Psalm 35, verse 27. In Deuteronomy 28, verses 11 to 13, 
he, he promises the people of Israel that he will bless them and prosper them. And he goes into great detail in that passage in Deuteronomy 28, saying, I will bless your, your cattle and, and, and your homes and your, pro, and your crops, and, and I will bless you as you follow after me, I will prosper you. Scripture is full of examples of extreme wealth as, as, people who, as well as people who live quite simply. You see, God doesn't see that. He gives according to our abilities, according to the parable here. Yes, our culture today is, is demanding equality of income and equality of resources. Our headlong run toward the evil of socialism, and yes, I said the evil of socialism, requires a class warfare. We do not see that in the parable of the talents. God gives to whom he will, amounts how he chooses, how he decides. We hear continually, continual calls to make the 1% pay for every program that the government can possibly think of. One former president has even said that there's, there's a limit to how much someone needs or how much someone should make. God knows nothing of that principle. Did you hear me? God knows nothing of that. This idea of everybody is equal and everybody's income and resources should be equal is, is not, not compatible with what God has designed us to be about. I've lived in a socialist country, spent 10 years in a socialist country, and I'm not an expert on socialism, but brothers and sisters, I say this with absolute confidence and without trying to get into politics, we should run like crazy from any notion of socialism. I've seen what it does to a culture and to a country and to a people. I've seen it firsthand. And I've seen the hopelessness that comes from socialism. And for a, a politician in America to stand up and defend socialism is, is anathema to me. The idea that everyone is equal doesn't work in God's economy. God does as he pleases. One servant was entrusted with five talents, another two and one with a single talent, each according to their ability. We're not all called to handle a million dollars or to evangelize the whole world. I sometimes, like you, wonder what would happen if I won the lottery. Well, first I'd have to buy a ticket, which I haven't done yet. What would happen if I won the lottery? We know what happens to many of the people who won, win big money. It's squandered and it's lost. And lives are often destroyed because of big money that comes along. Why? Because God didn't necessarily design for you to handle that much money. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. He's called us to be faithful what he's handled, what he's given us today. God gives according to his calculation of our ability and our calling. And so we can't fixate on what someone else has for money, for resources, for a job, or for a title. Ours is to fulfill the calling and work that God has given to us. Now, that doesn't eliminate the desire to go farther or to do more. Ambition and passion to pursue are also godly qualities. But listen to this. All must be for the glory of God. Proverbs 37, verse 4 says it like this. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. The transformed life means that we focus on stewarding what God has given to us and what God has called us to be about. Number four, we work for the master. 
Dr. Yosef Son is a Romanian pastor who's quite well known, not only in Romania, but also in America and around the world. In his ministry and his calling, he's had a global influence. He once, he once told me, I had the privilege of meeting him and spending time with him. He once told me that his understanding of calling, he said the kingdom of God is like a building project with lots of floors and with lots of rooms. He explained that God has given him a corner room that needs to be built and furnished in this project. That's, that's his domain. His business isn't in the other rooms, just that corner room. And frankly, Dr. Tzone said, it's all I can handle. You see, it's easy to be discontent and to look over the fence at what else is going on. Even as a pastor, we can, I, I can easily entertain thoughts of bigger churches or greater influence or, or reaching a larger audience and all that comes with it. So whether you're the CEO, whether you're the janitor, whether you're a nurse, or whether you're a doctor, whether you're a factory worker or a highly skilled rocket scientist, all we do is to be for the glory of the Lord. It strikes me that in this parable that the reward is the same for everyone. It didn't matter five, two, or one talents. The, the rewards were the same. Look at it, verse 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he says that for the two talents as well. Same reward, irregardless of what the amount of the original, the, the original treasure was. Didn't matter if it was five talents or two talents. The issue was, did you lean into what the master wanted for you? Did you follow after the calling? Did you, did you manage the money? Did you steward the treasure the way the master wanted you to do it? That was what gave pleasure to the master. The servant lived for the affirmation of well done, good and faithful servant. As, far as, as, as followers of Christ, that needs to be our passion as well. That needs to be our guiding star in all of this. In all we do, we need to glorify the Lord. And so may the, may the greatest motivation for us in our work and our life be to hear the words and affirmation of Jesus on that day. And we say it often. We say it often at funerals and on those kinds of occasions. We say, we say the blessing and the affirmation, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, as I look at this idea, well done, we, we, always, we always go to the well done part, right? At the end of our lives, we want to hear that. We want to, at the end of on that day, we want to hear well done. But don't miss the rest of the blessing. Don't miss the rest of the affirmation. Good and faithful servant. That goes to your work, brothers and sisters. That goes to Monday to Friday. Good and faithful servant wherever you're planted, wherever you're called, wherever you work, wherever you create your income, wherever you work with, interact with people, good and faithful servant. Number five, we are to be held accountable. In the parable, the master goes away on a journey and leaves his investment with his servant. Now, the nature of travel in those days wasn't exact. You couldn't, your ticket didn't say exactly when you were going to be home, Travel wasn't like that back then. Sorry to state the obvious. They didn't know when the master was coming home. We don't know when the Lord is coming. I believe the Lord is going to return soon. I believe that sometime soon, it could be in the next few minutes, we will hear the shofar, we will hear the trumpet sound, and we'll be taken up just like that. We don't know if it's five minutes, five months, or five years. We don't know when the master is returning. And so the Lord says that in, we are to be held accountable. We are to be working and diligent and good and faithful in the time that we have left. 
We're to be held accountable. We see in verse 19 of Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents that the, the master immediately comes and makes an accounting of the servants and, and, the, and the resources. The, 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 the judgment, the accounting is a, a joyous occasion for two of the servants. For the third, not so much. You see, that servant, the third the, with the one, he didn't understand his master. He must not have known his master. Instead of seeking the master's pleasure, he was afraid of him. He resented the fact that the master wasn't home taking care of his own business. And he summed up his resentment by saying in verse 25, you have what is yours. In other words, the servant is saying to the master, I'm no longer responsible for this. I think it goes even deeper than that. I think he's saying, I didn't want this then, and I don't want it now. I want nothing to do with it. You take it. In fact, the fact that he buried it in the ground, which was a common practice because they didn't trust banks, they didn't trust people that you would lend money to, they would bury their treasures in the ground. He buried it in the ground. Many people forgot where they buried their treasures and lost them forever. That's what it meant to bury it in the ground. So the master, which we read the parable and we think, man, that's kind of a harsh thing. And it's referring to the doctrine of, of hell, which we're not ever supposed to talk about, right? It's referring to the doctrine of being away from God, being away from his presence, the doctrine of hell. God and, and, the, and the master cast him out of his presence. Why? Why is that such a severe judgment? It's not... It's not that our work this week, our salvation depends on how you perform at work this week. Anything that, that, that helps us to think that works or my behavior somehow lends itself. We read in Ephesians 1 this morning, it's all God's work, our salvation. So it's not the work. It's not what the servants did or didn't do. It's the attitude that the servant, the one, parent, one talent servant brought. I don't care. I don't want to be about this. I want nothing to do with your treasure. He, he rejected the master. And so it is, if we, don't, if we don't come to the Lord by faith and receive him as our Lord and master and pour ourselves into what he has for us and come to him daily, come to him Monday through Friday and say, Lord, I'm going to work today. What would you have for me? How do I take this job that you've given to me and how do I multiply it for your glory? How do I invest in the people around me for your glory? How do, I, how do I walk with integrity in my job today for your glory? How do I interact with my boss today for your glory? How do I interact with this injustice today? How do I in- interact with this firing today or this laying off today? How do I interact with it for your glory? And how do I multiply this talent, this resource that you've given to me for your glory? You see, that's the parable of the talents, and that's our attitude towards work. The, the, the pastor at Disney World saw his work as a stewardship from God. He saw the people around him as a calling from God. He saw the world of the theme park as a stewardship to both better and to multiply for the sake of God's glory. Our work and, the, and our success as followers of Christ comes with the same calling. God has given us our resources, our talents, He's, and it includes our work. He's given it all to reflect his glory, to build on his creation. We didn't talk about that much, but God is calling us to be creative agents, to build on his creation. 
He's called us to, to use our gifts to build into the lives of others. And as I look back at the years of early work in my own life, even my life as a student, and, and it doesn't matter if you're a worker or if you're, if, if you're a student today. So I'm talking to you who are in middle school and in high school. I look back at my own life in the early days and even my life as a student, I wish I had a better grasp on these truths. Instead of fixating on inequality and in my own perceptions of unfairness in school or in the, in the workplace, I could have been more steadfast in faith. I could have been more pronounced in my witness for Christ, and it could have been more evident my integrity as I reflected God in my work. My efforts, I, I, I should have gone farther in my efforts to better the place that God has called me. See, it's not just about a paycheck. It's not just about a salary. It's not just about having my way at work or working my way up the ladder. It's all for God's glory. So it doesn't matter in, in my own work journey. It doesn't matter if it's a high school student, if it's, a, if it's a, a janitor in a rubber products factory, if it's a construction site, or if it's a church ministry. God has called us to live out our faith in the workplace. I don't know what your work history is. I look around the room and I see a multitude of jobs and careers represented. I also see men and women who are passionate, passionate to see God glorified in their workplace. And I pray that God gives us eyes to see our workplace as part of his kingdom, as part of his calling. May we be faithful stewards of the resources and responsibilities that he has placed before us. May those around us find us to be a blessing in the power of the Spirit, in the power of Jesus Christ in every way. May our businesses, may our marketplaces, may our schools, listen to this, may they all prosper under our influence and our efforts led by the Holy Spirit. May we, as those living transformed lives, see the fruit of our faith and obedience worked out in our work, in our vocation. Amen. Amen. On your way, rejoicing.